So sometimes you do your value of your business is both with patents and with trademarks because you have a lot of value in both. Sometimes you're more one or the other. So that's where I say it kind of comes into it depends. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. I'm your host, Matt Rouse. And today, my guest is Devin Miller. Devin, how are you? I am doing awesome. I'm excited to be on and life couldn't be better. Fantastic. And we have a, a, a tiny delay, so I hope I hope I don't interrupt you too many times because I know I'm kind of bad for that to start with. But I wanted to give people an idea of who you are. So Devin runs a patent and trademark law firm helping startups and small businesses. And he also founded his first startup while he was earning his law and MBA degrees. And since then, he's founded several seven and eight figure startups, enjoyed every minute of it. Devin, I want to ask you the first question I have is what is the best way to protect and grow a business with intellectual property? Yeah, so I would answer that. It kind of depends on the business. And I'll give, and just to start out, if you ever talk with a lawyer, your standard answer is likely it depends. And so I, I, I have a hard time getting out of that box myself. It's just like marketing. <laughs> exactly. So within that, you know, so far to say what's the best way to protect or grow a business, it kind of depends on what the business is. And I'll give you a couple examples. So let's say you were a brand business. You were the next M&Ms. You're the next Starbucks, Pepsi, Coke you know, whatever it might be, you don't have necessarily a product that differentiates yourself. You know, it's not the, it's not something patentable that you invented that's significantly different, but you have a really good brand and reputation and people love coming to you for, you know, for your services, then you're going to want to protect it with a, a trademark in the sense that a trademark really protects a brand. And so if you're a, a Starbucks and you want to make sure that nobody else uses your mermaid on the cup or your, you know, the logo or those type of things, you're going to want to protect your brand. And that provides a lot of value. You think of how much, Starbucks is worth, most of their value is tied up in their brand, right? Their coffee's not that much different, their donuts or their muffins. You can go find that at a lot of delis, but they built a built a very strong brand and that's what people associate with. So that's one way that they've protected and grown their business with the trademark. Conversely, if you're to look and say, now let's say we're the next best widget, you know, you you invented the next generation iPhone that's going to blow them all away or something of that nature. So you're really more of an invention. Then you're going to be more on the patent side. If you're going to say, hey, what we really want to protect, where are, you know, the value of our company is, is our, in our blood, sweat, we're in tears to create the new invention and technology and something that we've created, then it's going to fall more on the patent side. And that's going to protect what you've, what you've built and the widget you've made. And so that one's kind of on the patent side. If you're that type of business, the last one that generally falls into it, let's say you're more on a creative business. So you're doing photography, you're doing movies, you're doing a book, you're doing something that's creative, you're doing sculptures or paintings, then that's really going to fall under copyrights and copyrights are more on the creative side. And so let's say your business is you wrote the next, you know, Harry Potter or what, you know, whichever the the book is. And I'm trying to think of a better example than Harry Potter, but that was the first one that came to mind. But let's say you did the next one, you know, you wrote the next best book series. Then you really want to get in protect with copyright. So it kind of depends on which category of your company you fall into. And sometimes it's multiple ones, right? Apple has a very strong brand. They also do technology. And so sometimes you do your value of your business is both with patents and with trademarks because you have a lot of value in both. Sometimes you're more one or the other. So that's where I say it kind of comes into it depends. So let me, I have a few questions there, but I'll kind of ask them in order here. So 
the first one, like the Starbucks trademark idea or, you know, Coca-Cola or whatever it is, is it a trademark for, say, your like the Starbucks logo with the Starbucks name in it? Is that one trademark and then their logo would be a separate trademark or is all of it kind of part of one big trademark? Yeah, so Starbucks has probably a few different trademarks. One is going to be just on the use of the word backing up. There's a couple of different ways of protecting trademarks with a brand. So one is what's called a word mark and one that's called a design mark. So word mark is basically protecting the use of a word or a phrase anyway. So it doesn't matter what font size you use, what style you use. It's just, hey, if you use this word for a type of goods or services, for a type of product or service you are providing, then it blocks out the use of that word. So I'm sure Starbucks has, in that example, a word mark for Starbucks, right? They use the word Starbucks all the time, and so they're going to want to protect it. Then to your question of design marks, so now they also have design, right? The Starbucks mermaid, the green one that's on the side of the cup, they put everywhere. They probably have it, one, just for the Starbucks mermaid that protects that because sometimes they just use it by itself, right? The cup just will have the Starbucks mermaid or some of their packaging, And they'll probably likely Starbucks have a third one, which is they'll have the word of the mermaid logo with the Starbucks word that's green and it has a specific font type and a specific title and and those type things. So usually there's kind of a combination of word design and then sometimes there's an overlap between both. All right. And then on kind of the patent side of things, one thing that I wanted to ask you, and this seems to come up pretty often nowadays, is people kind of suing people over patents for processes that seem like everyday kind of processes, you know, or maybe that's, you know, somebody says, oh, my process is if you click the next button, it's a way for somebody to fill out a survey. And they're like, this is our patent and we own it kind of thing. You know, like, I mean, I don't know if that's a specific example, but, you know, you know, you get the idea. Is there a lot of problems with kind of patent law at people coming after companies once they make a lot of money and saying, oh, these are our patents kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, there's a bit of give and take or put, you know, push and shove or whatever you want to call it in the sense, you know, one of the examples that, you know, I don't know on the survey one, but Amazon's one click, you know, shopping button, that is one that they patented. And so that was the process that they have it on. And it was really of how do you make one click shopping as easy as they did with, you know, preloading the information, tying it to your login and your profile. And so the trade-off is one of, you know, on some of these, it's hard because everything seems obvious once you see somebody else do it, right? In the sense that once Amazon came up with the one-click button, they made it super simple to check out. They made it easy. Then everybody said, oh, yeah, that's simple. That's easy. We can do it. But Amazon was the first one to do the development, figure out how to make it a smooth process. And so on the one sense, I'll, I'll defend the, you know, some of those. While it seems simple, hindsight is always 2020. And sometimes the simple inventions are ones that are did take a lot of ingenuity, innovation and that. And while it's easy or obvious in hindsight, it still took some of the first one to do it. And so they should be rewarded. Now, on the flip side, you know, there are patents that are just Sometimes bad patents that shouldn't have been let through. And, you know, it's, it can be a combination of an examiner that's not doing their job at the patent office or whatever the reason may be. They just they simply every once in a while, not very often, but occasionally it'll slip through. One was on the patent that was for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I can't remember which company it was for, but it was very simple sandwich. And I think the only thing that they got was how they crimped it along the side to make it in the container. That one got thrown out. That one got challenged. They got thrown out in court. The patent got invalidated. 
validated because it was just too simple. So there's kind of that give or take of sometimes the, the simple inventions do have a lot of value and should have that protection. And other times this is things that people have already done that they're really not adding anything unique. And in that case, they should be overruled and thrown out. Sure. So what's an example? I like I think any anybody understands, like if I have an invention, I should patent my invention. Or if I have a bunch of code that does something specific, I should patent the, the code or the process. But I know there's other things you can patent things like like a manufacturing process or I don't know. Are there some other examples you can think of that might companies might want to patent? Maybe the place are out. Let's rule out the things that you just can't patent that are just out there and that are. So one thing that you, uh, the patent office said you can't patent perpetual motion machine. And as shocking as it is, perpetual motion machines, there's a lot of people that for a long time filed patents on it. And the patent office has basically came out and said, you can't get a patent on this until if you really invent it and you can really prove us wrong that perpetual motion is doable, we'll give you a patent. Until then, we're not even accepting patents on that. Another one is the cure for cancer. Can't. Patent of cure for cancer. Again, if you can cure cancer, I'm sure they'll let you have a patent on it, but they're saying until you've actually proven it, we're not taking more patents on it. The other one that I would, it's not 100% difficult or 100% a no, but is much more difficult than it used to be, is on what's called a business method. And it used to be, hey, a method of doing business. Five or six years ago, you could probably get a patent on it. They reeled that back and said they just saw so many people trying to get a business or patent on business methods that are already out there that they've reeled that in that it's much more difficult to say this is a way that we do business to get a patent on. Outside of that, you really can get or patent on quite a bit of different things. So give you a few different fun examples of ones we've worked on. Everything for mechanical. So I remember one simple one was there was a little tab that helped you pull out a credit card from your wallet so that it made it easier for people. Older people didn't have the dexterity to pull it out. That was patentable. Another one that was putting a, a device in a washing machine that was uh, sticky it had some tactfulness to it that would help you to remove pet hair from the from clothing that was patentable on a more technology side I work with a lot of software and, and hardware companies so everything from wearables to I've done a boat anchor to we've done software to we've done I've done Intel and Amazon and all of these so you can get software hardware electrical methods of manufacturing how you produce something so there's a pretty wide scale out there with the exception of business methods, perpetual motion machines, cure for cancer. The last one, and then I'll take a pause, is software. The main thing on software you have to watch out for, which is, you know, some people get confused on software would be patentable, but you can't take something that people have done for a long period of time on pen and paper, done it in their head, stick it on a computer and call it novel or unique or patentable. So you can't go two plus two equals four. I'm the first one to have a computer do the same thing that everybody's done on pen and paper the exact same way. And now I'm patenting it because I'm the first one to stick it on a computer. So they're, they're saying you can't just take something that people have done off of a computer, do the exact same thing on a computer and, has, and call it patentable, has to be something unique and different. Cool. So, yeah, that's a good idea of how, of how those things work. And, and I know that there's a lot of confusion, you know, between what is patentable and what isn't. And of course, you should always get legal advice from someone like Devin if you're going to try and patent something. So now copyright, I know, is a really messy one. And, you know, we've had we've dipped our toe in the waters with copyright quite a bit. You know, some somebody actually came after us for a photo that questionably is an actual photo. And and I could explain what happened. It, it was a basically a photograph of a computer screen of another piece of software that they didn't own. 
And we had used that photo or part of that photo at some point in time. I don't even remember when. And they had said, oh, we did research. We found out you used our photo. And I was like, this can't be your photo because it's not your software. Well, it turns out that that doesn't matter. <laughs> or at least it didn't in this case. And and so my understanding is, and, and you know, I'm sure there's probably more to it than this, but the person who snaps the photo is the owner of the copyright. Yeah, and then there's certainly, as you mentioned, a few exceptions, but generally, yes. So if you were to take... Let's say, give you an even more difficult example. Let's say you have a picture of the Eiffel Tower that you love. This is the world's best picture of the Eiffel Tower. And so you said, well, I, I don't own that and I don't want to go pay for, you know, that picture. So I'm going to go and recreate that, snap my own picture, create it myself. That's that's generally, and there's a few exceptions, but perfectly viable. If you take a picture of the same Eiffel Tower under the same conditions, but it's your own picture. You own that one that you took. The person that took the picture that you originally love owns that one as well. But to your point, there really is whoever takes the makes a sculpture, takes a picture, writes a blog post, does the podcast. They created it. They own it. And unless they sell over, sign their rights or otherwise give up those rights, they would do that. So in your example of, you know, taking that picture, they didn't own the software, but because they took the original picture of the computer showing the software, they would have the ownership rights. And unless you got a license from them or otherwise rights to it, because they took the picture, they own that picture, not the software, not the computer, but the picture. Right. I, I remember this story and, and I don't think it was that long ago. There was there was a bunch of copyright law about photography that went through this nature photographer who had set up a camera to allow these monkeys to take their own photos. And then he was going to resell the photo that the monkey took. But apparently there was like some lawsuit came out with, I think it was PETA or somebody to figure it because saying that the monkey owned the photo and the photographer didn't. And I don't know if you remember that whole rigmarole. Yeah, I remember that. Case. It, was, it was an interesting one because if the monkeys take it, do the monkeys own it? But can monkeys have a copyright? Can you put a monkey as the owner of a copyright? And it got very messy because the person didn't take it, so they didn't own it. But a monkey can't own it, so then who does own it? And, it, and then it eventually got resolved. But, yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting and funny case. But, yeah, that is a good one. Now, there's also stuff about and and this is something that really interests me because I, I've kind of bumped up against this a few times also is when do things enter the public domain? Right. Especially when it comes to something like audio, you know, like music from, you know, the 1920s or 30s kind of thing is in the public domain as far as I know. But it seems like because of companies like Disney and Sony, they keep getting these extensions on the, on on what goes into public domain. As far as I know, those are the companies that filed the original suits for that kind of stuff. But and I know obviously we're not giving legal advice here. We're just kind of making it a rough idea so we have a better idea that we could go talk to our lawyers about. Right. But I guess what is the difference between how something becomes public domain and if it's not public domain, then what is considered fair use to use something like a song or, you know, a speech or something like that? And, and to your point, it is general advice. So if you have a specific question, go talk to a lawyer. Don't just listen to the podcast. But I can certainly give you a bit of an insight. Copyrights generally, and there's exceptions, and Disney is very, very good of, if they either making exceptions or having enough pull with legislatures to create exceptions if there aren't ones in there. So they, they seem to continue to figure out ways to extend it. But 
let's take the general example and leave Disney aside for a second is copyrights are generally it's 70 years plus a life of the author. So if you're the author and you made something and you kill over tomorrow and hopefully you don't, so I'm not at all wish you to kill over tomorrow, but you killed over tomorrow with 70 years from that date or from the time that you're of your death. And so whenever that is, that's why it's a bit variable then you would have that as an ownership. So that one's kind of as a general rule. If you're looking and saying, okay, when did the author die? Let's add on a 70 years plus that. And if it's beyond that period, then you can do that. So take a Beethoven or a Bach or any classical music. The reason everybody can use classical music is because it's been out there for too long. It's been more than 70 years since the life of the author. And so they, everybody can equally access those works. Now, on the other one, you said, okay, let's say it's not that 70 years. Let's say it is still copyrighted. Then you kind of bring up what would be fair use. And there's a few different types of fair uses. You know, one is... First of all, let me dispel one myth that, you know, often comes up with fair use. And it's usually goes something along the lines of, well, if you only use five seconds of the video clip or five seconds of the music or 10 or I've heard you different numbers or one second or whatever, then you're fine that you're not infringing their copyright. That, you know, first of all, that's completely untrue. So don't listen to those. If you see that on the Internet or something tells you they're wrong, just disregard it. And the reason being is, so what they typically are going to look at is what is the the hook of the song? Let's take a song for an example. So let's say you have a lot of notes that, you know, music that sounds a lot like each other's, but you have that hook, right? Something that's that catchy phrase that everybody is, listens to your song. And while the other notes are basically the same as every other song out there, you have that hook. It could be two seconds. It could be one second, five seconds, whatever, but that is your creative portion. And so with that, you're going to make sure that, you know, don't listen to the two or one or five seconds or whatever. Now, the reason I, my belief is the reason that came up is because generally on YouTube and some of the other ones, people figured out that if you have it as short enough that the algorithms can't figure out whether or not it's copyright infringing, so they let it go. And hence the myth, myth began, but that one's a myth. Now, the ones that you can, or are, you know, what would be fair use or a few, one is what's called transformative. So let's say you take a picture to your point. Let's say it's a really cool picture, but you really you're in a very significant way. You alter the picture. You change the color. You change the profile of it. You make it completely different. And one of the famous ones is, is one of the picture with Obama where they took Obama and they did the four different colors of him and they completely transformed it, transformed it to basically being a new form of art. So that one can be one that can fall under fair use that people can use or use the copyright because they're doing it to a level that transforms the work. And that one gets a bit sticky. So, again, talk with an attorney before you just go and start transforming things. Another one that's an interesting one is what's called parody. So if you're to look at, you know, take one of the examples of parody of Alexa, you know, Alexa with Amazon, one of my, one that's kind of funny. Uh Oh, and I think I just, uh, I have an Alexa in my room, but now because I said Alexa, <laughs> it's actually talking to me. So it happens apologize lot, background, background music of Alexa talking. But you take that, you have a Saturday Night Live clip, right? And you do Saturday Night Live, and they did a whole skit on making fun of it with elderly people and everything else. Well, that was transformative because it was a parody. It was making fun of it. So people know that that's, you know, that they're they're, they're referring to that. They're making fun of it. And that one's oftentimes, if you're doing a parody of something, you can take the original work, make fun of it. Or another one is commentary. You can do a critique, you know, as an example, you want to leave a review and you want to leave a nasty review or a great review for this podcast. Hopefully it's a great review. Then, you know, you can reference a podcast. You can do that as a, as a way to critique. You can take a picture and say, here's, here's a product I got on Amazon and it's a horrible product. And I think in 
Nobody should ever buy it. Leaving that critique or that feedback or that review is oftentimes one that's outside of copyright. Or another example is you read a book and you hated the book. So you took an excerpt of the book and you took a paragraph. You said, here's what the book says is completely wrong. And here's why it's wrong. And here's my critique. That's another one that's kind of fair use. And the last one, and then I'll take a break because I've been talking, is educational. And educational, you have to be, again, be careful and educational because it's not just, hey, if I'm an educator, I can go and copy a whole book, put it out to my students. That's not a good idea. But if you're taking a snippet, you're taking something off there, you're putting it to the class, you're doing it for, you know, classroom setting, then generally education has some leeway as to how they do it. But again, don't just go and copy and paste a whole book and put it online and think you're okay. Even if you're an educator, you're going to have problems. All right. So I think there's some interesting stuff coming up from some of the technology that has come out, specifically one I just saw there. And and I don't want to, you know, take any political sides or anything, but it was the creators of South Park made a deep fake video of Donald Trump where it sounds like his voice and it looks like his face. And he's making up a story about the mean reindeer that made him have an election. And, uh, you know, by using that, they're technically not taking a copy of any video or any audio. They're sampling out of it and sampling out of the video and creating something completely new, which is not a parody. But then I guess you could get into the whole idea of using someone's likeness. But I don't I don't know where that kind of stuff is going to go on the legal grounds. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but the technology is there already. So and it's cheap and easy. So that stuff is going to come out fast. Do you think that kind of stuff is going to be, you know, still considered fair use from a parody standpoint, as long as it's not serious? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's that is a hard one because deep fakes, they're getting it used to be deep fakes. They looked bad. They sounded bad and they weren't that way. So you didn't have a problem, but they're getting to be pretty good to where you can do even videos. A lot of times you can't tell on a video or a audio or anything else. You know, is it the original person saying it? So that one, you know, that one's a whole good rabbit hole we could get in. But I mean, because it not only has is, is playing out someone's likeness. And so now is it becoming to let's say people really did think, you know, probably not on South Park. Likelihood is, is they're probably thinking Trump didn't go on South Park and actually say it. But let's say that they did think that then it's now is it it's not only, you know, you're trying to portray their likeness and that and then they do. People have, especially if you're famous, have rights to use their likeness. So that way you can't go on and try and portray that Michael Jordan or whoever said this thing when they really didn't. That one has an interesting assignment. We'll hit on in a minute of how you get if people have gotten around that. But you have a control of your likeness. You also have, you know, if they're making derogatory and, and or inflammatory type of statements that are make, actually making you look bad that are either false or they're saying something that's, you know, let's say you went out and said something that's racist or derogatory or bigoted or anything else and you're doing it with a deep fake. Now it's you're making that you're actually having a harm to that individual. So deep fakes are a fun one, but they get so complicated because it's a, a new area of law that I don't think the law has actually had to account for to the level that they're getting. And so it's one where I think it's going to have to play out over probably several years as deep fakes have gotten good enough is to where that falls between transformative and parody and where that falls towards lightness and derogatory and inflammatory and all those things. And I I don't know where it's going to fall because it's so unknown. It's going to be, I mean, the technology is, it's there now, but the computing power is kind of the holdup, right? Most people don't have, you know, 
the computing power necessary to make it, but any movie studio, you know, does or any government does, there is probably deep fakes already out that people don't know the difference between the real one and the fake one, right? But I think the law is definitely going to need to catch up on that stuff. But you said there's a way that people get around using someone's likeness or... Yeah, so the example that came to mind is, so, and this one, I can't, it's a little while back, I'd have to look, it's 10, 15 years back, you know, is what they did, but what they would do is on it was book reviews and there was other types of reviews and they would actually go and find people with the same name as famous people. Right. So I go find Michael Jordan and says, Michael Jordan said this about my book. Well, it was a Michael Jordan. It just wasn't the Michael Jordan that everybody knew about. Or you would say, you know, whether either side of the you know, political aisle, Donald Trump or Pelosi or Chuck Schumer, whoever it is, said this about this. Well, they find someone else that has the same name. So you have a right to use your name and quote it. So they would go around and find people that had the same name that they wanted to make quotes for their book. And then they would say, this is what they said about my book. And it was perfectly legal. Now, they've a little bit adjusted that, but to a large extent, it's still relatively legal to do that. And so it's a bit of a loophole. Now, if you're going to do that, talk with an attorney before you just go do it to make sure that you're not going to get any trouble. But it was an interesting loophole that people exploited for a long period of time. I was going to guess that, you know, when they say the characters in this are not like anyone living or <laughs> dead, you know, this these are fictional characters. And then like they're exact replicas of people that <laughs> are famous. Right. Like they do that exactly. in shows all the time. They put that kind of disclaimer at the beginning. I mean, honestly, we mentioned South Park. South Park does it all the time. Uh, like you can tell who they're talking about. They don't even change their name most of the time. They're just like, these are characters unlike anyone living or dead. <laughs> you're like, sure they are. <laughs> exactly. No, it was some crafty lawyer that came out, said, put this in statement in front of it and you'll be fine. And then since then, it's not usually true. But anyway, yeah, it's a fun area. So, Devin, I, I mean, we could talk about this stuff for, for hours, but I, I want to cut it a little bit short here just because I know that, you know, you're a busy guy. And and honestly, we've been tracking it. And it turns out that people listen to our episodes more often when they're a little bit shorter. <laughs> Fair enough. So there's a tip for you podcasters. Try to keep it down to 20 minutes. You'll get more more plays. <laughs> Devin. If somebody wants to get a hold of you to get some legal advice about, you know, IP law, where's the what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? So I'll give them a couple ways to reach out. One is if they're just wanting to grab some time, they have some questions. So we offer free strategy sessions where we'll sit down, go through kind of what you're doing, what you have going on and say, yeah, this is you, you're behind the eight ball and you need to catch up on these areas or, hey, you're a bit early. These are things to think about or patent makes sense for you or trademark any of those we do have that strategy session where people can sit down and chat with me so easiest way to do that is just go to strategymeeting.com and that will link right to my calendar you can grab a day and time that works for you you can come on and we can certainly chat about that so strategymeeting.com easy way to reach out to me and grab some time if they just want to find out more about myself and the law firm and everything information in general they can go to law with miller just lawwithmiller.com and that one they'll just be directed to our website they'll find out about our prices learn some things and everything else in the meantime so chat with me directly strategymeeting.com if they want to reach out on just a website lawwithmiller.com sure and we'll put those in the show notes too that'll be at hookseo.com slash podcast devin Thank you so much for taking the time. I mean, I learned a lot already. I'm going to have to go back and listen to it and take some more notes now. <laughs> and, and maybe we'll have a chat again here soon. Thank you so much for being on the show. 
Absolutely. It was a blast to be on and appreciate you having me. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Now stay tuned for a preview of our next episode of Digital Marketing Masters. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.